either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Well, at first, there will be no spoilers. And then with plenty of warning, there will be spoilers. As we talk about one big one we've been waiting for and lots of other stuff available this week. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we are from MadWolf.com. We start with that big one from Jordan Peele. The residents of a lonely gulch in Inland, California bear witness to an uncanny and chilling discovery. It is nope. Yeah. Joe, tell me, what did you see in that cloud? Well, it's not what you think. No! They took him. They took him all. I gotta get out this house. I'm trying to save you. My brother is out there. I don't think they take you. If you don't look at it. Help me! Look, don't look, don't look. This dream you're chasing. Where you end up at the top of the mountain. It's the one you never wake up from. You'll be getting a call from my supervisor asking how my service was. Five stars, Angel, five stars. This is the part where we're not going to give any spoilers. At the very end of the podcast, we're going to invite you to sit in if you have seen it. Right. Exactly. So you're completely safe. Exactly. And we'll give you plenty of warning at the end, too. But for the first part here, we're not going to spoil anything. It has been fun after we saw it to go back in as I was looking for some images to use online and things. I just stumbled into some fan theories, you know, from the trailer. And I just kind of chuckled because as I suspected, what they gave you in the trailer doesn't spoil everything at all. I mean, it makes you think things that may be in the ballpark, but there's a lot more. There's a lot more to unpack in this. And, of course, we, like so many other people, were really looking forward to this because we loved us and we loved Get Out. Yeah. But this one, boy, I really think he's stretching, especially as a director, in the way that it looks, in the way it's plotted. It's a different type of storytelling. But what we can say about the plot is it's centered around a brother and sister, played by Daniel Kaluuya and Kiki Palmer, and they run Haywood's Hollywood Horses out in this gulch, as the synopsis says, in California, and they supply horses to productions, TV, commercials, movies, Mm -hmm. things like that. And they've been doing that for a while. It's in fact, and as uh, you might have seen in the the trailer, Kiki Palmer's character, Emerald, says how their family goes back to those very first images of a moving picture of the black man on a horse. And um, lately, their business, the the only black-owned horse training business in Hollywood, um, has been supplying horses to this family theme park down the road run by Stephen Yoon's character. And they need more and more horses lately to keep these amazing things happening at the theme park. And that's all we'll say about that. And that's where it starts. That's where it's set. Yes. And, and you know, as you have pointed out, there is uh, there's a, a Bible verse that starts the film, and it really has a big, a lot of times I think those are throwaways, how people start their movie. I don't think that it's, but this, in this case, I think it's just brilliant, of course, because Jordan Peele made it. But, um, and I know I sound like a fan, but I am a fan. Yeah. Um, And uh, one of the things that I loved about this movie, I love Daniel Kaluuya. I love him in anything. I think he's one of the very most talented actors working right now. He's great. I loved 
his rapport, his characters with his sister, yeah. uh, Kiki Palmer, who's also great. Because they're polar opposites. Couldn't be more opposite. And and their energy is completely opposite. And they, they have such a lived-in, annoyed with each other, but <laughs> bonded forever yes. kind of a vibe. Yes. But it sets an interesting stage for sort of the discombobulating energy the entire film is going to have. And then when you get into the Steven Yeun character... His performance, he's also an incredible talent, but his performance is so compellingly odd. Mm -hmm. As is really his whole story, his character story, it goes off in places that I think some, I I can see maybe some people that were fans of us and Get Out maybe being put off by the type of storytelling here, which reminded me, this is going to sound really weird, this movie at times reminded me of a a scaled down sci-fi version of Magnolia. Yeah. The way it went off in these different tangents, like, where is this going? But then it all ties together. Mm-hmm. I think some people may put, be put off by that. It's a different type of storytelling, but but I loved it. And we, the two of us, I think we agree, we would not call this a straight-out horror movie. This is much more sci-fi. Yes. There are frightening images. Oh, for sure. There it, are. it would be maybe sci-fi horror, yeah, but even and, that, not to the degree of something like Alien. And it's and it's tense, mm-hmm. really well, well-paced and, and, and tense like that, and there are some frightening images. But definitely leans more toward uh, toward sci-fi, and as you bring in a couple of these other characters, there's a a tech guy who works like kind of at Best Buy type mm-hmm. of guy, uh, played by Brandon Perea, and then also a longtime cinematographer played by Michael Wincott. Oh, God, yeah. I love him. That voice and the, oh, the great voice. And they both come in and they are trying to help the the brother and sister get the perfect shot about these uncanny things that are happening some proof what they call the Oprah shot right and that's one of the many ways this film comments on Hollywood and filmmaking and you know creating with film and then also the black experience within filmmaking right 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 because you really if you if you notice in the background there's a lot of posters about certain uh, movies. From the black experience in Hollywood and the black uh, history in Hollywood. And so it's definitely saying a lot about that. Also about black cowboys. Absolutely. You know, about the struggle of filmmaking. Yes. I think that there's a lot about that in particular. I mean, the the black history in Hollywood is right up front from the very first comment about that. The family history. Yeah. yeah, and, yeah. and the first moving picture right, right. Of, a, of, a, of a black cowboy. I mean, so much of the movie is about... Filmmaking, mm-hmm. it is about. I mean, what the, what everybody in the movie is trying to do is to create a spectacle, yeah. to give us something to look at. But at the same time, so many of them are trying to capture that. And I mean, the whole thing, the whole movie is it's and it's never burdened by the metaphors that it's using no, about no, creation no, no. and about filmmaking. No. Not not at all. It's it's all done really really well and in service of a fascinating action adventure sci-fi film yeah it really is fascinating and the the visuals man you want to see this on the biggest screen you can because it's really expansive you know they're out in this real desolate area and so you get some fantastic landscapes and the colors the contrast of colors that that peel and his cinematographer uses and then the visual cues yeah that trigger you when to be tense and when to be scared. Just brilliant use of that. I mean, I think he's really stretching as a director here. I really do. Sound as well. I Sound, love the, I yes. love the use of music in this. And and also the way, a little bit like, if, uh, throwback to the movie Hannah, the way that at certain times 
he sort of it's a perversion of these grotesque images that mm-hmm. you associate with childhood, like mm-hmm. this theme park and those like I don't know what you call them, those sort of blow up hey, yeah, look, that you we're see selling something lots. right. Yeah, yeah, those kind of things. Yeah. Like wind sleeve people. Yeah. Wind sock people. You know, the way the way he he incorporates images like that into this story, mm-hmm. I think is um visually unsettling yes. in a way that's also kind of funny. Yeah. So and it's definitely by no stretch is this movie a comedy, but of course he's funny. And I think I love that about um when 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 you cast a film, people, humans are funny. Not all of them. Everybody has friends who are funny and friends who are not. And I think that something that is often missed a missed opportunity in films is to have characters who aren't the, your comedic foil. Yeah. They're not the fool. They're mm-hmm. just characters who happen to also be funny. And I think that there's a lot of that in this as Without well. Without just trying to seem like they're cool and glib. Right. No. Yeah, which just, is that this movie does not do. No. And there's also um, there's a there's a, a Corey Hart shout out that yeah, I love so much. Yeah, there is. They make you think about that song in a little bit different way, the way they use it <laughs> at different speeds. Um, but let's go back without spoiling anything yet. Let's go back to that to that Bible verse at the beginning. It talks about spectacle, and the word spectacle is used a few times throughout this movie, and that can't be any mistake either, and trying to tame things that are untamable. Mm-hmm. I think that's a real, a real theme that runs through this that we'll talk about more later. But uh, again, it doesn't, you're right, doesn't beat anything you know, over the head, over your head, so much so that he's one of those filmmakers that very, I think, intentionally leaves things up to your own interpretation, and that's yeah, good. It, oh, definitely I mean, that, good. that's really good. Um, and this one certainly does. I've already seen some some theories out there that uh, looking at it in ways that I really maybe didn't think of. And, and strangely enough, I read one this morning uh, that didn't mention the Bible verse at right. all. Yeah. And boy, when somebody like Jordan Peele puts that up front, there's a reason for that, and and we'll get into that more. But uh, yeah, I think it's uh, it's three for three for him. Oh, for and, sure. And really, I think stretching. I've mm-hmm. used that word a few mm-hmm. times. It's ambitious. It it really seems ambitious. Like well, he's, it's much more, as you said in the written review, expansive. It is. You know, I mean, it's it's so much of it is outdoor. So much of it is these you know these big sweeping action movie style set pieces. Mm-hmm. That we haven't seen before, as other two films are a little bit in us, a little bit we did. There's there's the big uh, outdoor explosion, but but both of the previous films are mainly interiors. They're mainly inside a right. single home. Yeah. So to have one that's so exterior, uh, with horses and and you know, I mean, everything that's going on on the ground and in the sky. That's a that's a big difference from from his previous films, and and man, did he nail it! Really nailed it, and you'll also see in the cast of Donna Mills, uh, <laughs> Knott's Landing, Donna Mills pops up. Also, Osgood Perkins, yes. who's normally a director, uh-huh. um, Anthony Perkins' son, he's in there, and uh, and of course the great Keith David. Oh, Keith David, mm-hmm. yeah, as their father, um, the patriarch of the business. But it's it's really good, and it's just another example of of what a great filmmaker. Jordan Peele is, um, and boy, looking forward to. I know it's this movie just came out. We're already, you know, looking forward to the next one. But when someone is this good, I know you're like, hurry up, come on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> What's he gonna he gonna try for next? And even though this is not a straight up horror, more sci fi, it's still very genre loving. I mean, it's yeah. a a genre. It's gonna remind you of different genre films for sure. Mm-hmm. And I think that's by design as well because he's made no mistake of the fact that he's a fan. Oh a yeah, a lot of these genre films. I mean, the first two, his first two films were were just rampant with 
nods to to other uh, yeah. genre films. Yeah, which is great. Yeah. Um, so again, we'll talk more of this, a little bit more about this in, de- in depth with spoilers a little bit later on toward the end of the podcast. But I don't want to spoil anything for anybody. If you haven't seen it, see it and see it on a big screen. And it is the latest from Jordan Peele. Nope. Let's go to Netflix next, when the CIA's most skilled operative, whose true identity is known to none, accidentally uncovers dark agency secrets, a psychopathic former colleague puts a bounty on his head, setting off a global manhunt by international assassins. It's the Gray Man. You must be Lloyd. What gave it away? The trash dash. It just, it leans Lloyd. Put a hit so big on your boy's head that even his most loyal allies won't hesitate to drop a dime. Every grade A wet team from here to Rachel Day will be vying for the prestige of killing the infamous Sierra Six. I can kill anybody. Maybe not anybody. Well, this is the Russo brothers, uh, Anthony and Joe, and they're back with a lot of the writers from many of their Marvel projects. And you've got, so there's talent, there's star talent right there, A-listers right there, and then you look at the cast, and you've got Ryan Gosling, and you've got Chris Evans, Anna Armas, um, the guy from Bridgerton, who's hot now, uh, Alfre Woodard. Billy Bob Thornton. Billy Bob Thornton. Uh, there's, there's a lot there. What's the name of the guy from Bridgerton? What's that actor's name? Renee Jean, Renee Jean Page. Yeah, he shouldn't just be the guy from Bridgerton. No. Give him a name just because we don't watch Bridgerton. Anyway, a lot of star power here, both uh, in front of the camera, behind it. It's just so generic. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the first thing you said was, why? Why are all what these people? What is the deal? Why it's based on a book. So you have to think, okay, somebody read this. Somebody thought, wow, this is really worth worth making into a film. But either the book was so generic or, or I, what did they think the book offered, or what did they think they could offer this this spy kind of story that could make it unique? Because there's nothing. There's you've seen this a million times. You've seen just basic plot points just done over and over again. The only thing that differentiates this is the star power. Yeah, you're exactly right. You know, you've got a a black ops, a, a Jason Bourne. You know, yeah. somebody who was picked out of obscurity because of his skills. He's got no background. He's got no real name. He, you know. And uh, and somebody wants to shut down that program, but those people can't really be trusted either. So they bring in somebody else, but nobody can really kill this guy. Yeah. You'd be amazed at what he can survive. Blah blah and blah. Then he gets, oh, there's a child in danger. Right. Oh, there's yeah. I mean, he, it's, he gets on the wrong side of his own people because he won't do a job because a kid's in the way. We've seen that a million yeah, times. Yeah, Jessica Chastain in hers. Uh, Liam Neeson just yeah, did that and then one. He's I mean, on the run. there's not a single thing. There's not a single thing about the story or the execution. No. That is in any way new. And there fresh. are there are a couple good fight scenes and yeah. visuals. Yeah, I thought so. Okay, that's yeah, impressive. Yeah. But not enough to, to really warrant this. I was just really, really curious about, yeah, what why they thought they could attack this and bring something really, really new to it. And as it went along, it was it was so, so cliched. At times I thought, well, this this could be a parody. Right. It really could. And then you've got Chris Evans who comes on and playing this bad guy with this really this mustache 
is uh, just classic for the kind of performance <laughs> that he gives because he's just hamming it up he is. all over the place. He is. He's having a very good time. And and Ryan Gosling's character is much more dialed back, but funny. And Ryan Gosling but is funny. He is funny. But this, sort of like what we were talking about a few minutes ago, this is too glib. This is glib to, to feel hip and cool. And it's just like you're trying too hard. Yeah. I mean, I admit, I, I give you, Ryan Gosling is funny. He's very funny. But this just, it, to me, it all all the attempts at humor just sounded so, oh, we're just so cool, we're glib. And it's, I don't know. I mean, you know, he he's very good. He's good in this. He is? Uh, Chris Evans is good in this. Andy Armas gets a chance to actually act, which is to say that she she's not... You'd think to yourself, oh, and she's the hot girl who's, but you know what? Even in the, even in the sort of she's undercover, don't look at her bunch of spy, she's wearing this hideous suit. <laughs> and I just thought, well, well, good for you <laughs> for casting her to act. That's a nice change of pace. It's also nice to see Ana de Armas and Ryan Gosling in a movie again yeah. together. That's yeah. always nice. I mean, the, you know, the, the cast, like you said, I mean, the cast elevates the the material, which I think just goes to show you how bad the material is, because still you're like, is this movie still on? Exactly. If, if and and that's the case where even if you have Netflix already and think, okay, well it's on, boy, it just drags. It just drags. I could see people just getting you know bored with it after a while because it's a little over two hours. Uh, there's nothing there to to you know, really make you engaged in it and no. compel you to keep watching. I mean, unless you've never seen a movie before. I guess. And then at the very end, it seems like they have an eye toward a franchise with this, at least with a certain character. And I'm like, wow, it's, it's just not here. It's just a real, a real curious bit of star power coming to a story that doesn't really warrant it right. and, and, and elevates it. But still, can't elevate it very far because it's just so dull. Yeah. And, and it's one of those movies, it was like a $200 million movie to make. Yeah. It's not going to get a theatrical release at all. It's straight to Netflix. And it's a, it's an interesting, it's a curious choice because it's not one of those films where if you don't have Netflix already, you should get it for this. Right. Not at all. Yeah. You know, if you already have Netflix, sure. But like you said, but I don't know then, that you'll fit all boring. the way through yeah. it. Exactly. And that is The Gray Man on Netflix. Let's go back to theaters for a charming film, the feature adaptation of the animated shorts interviewing a mollusk named Marcel. Marcel the shell with shoes on. Marcel, how long has it been since you've seen your family? I couldn't tell you, but a space in my heart gets bigger and louder every day. Hmm. There's so many places that they could be. Marcel the shell with shoes on. Whoa. You are beautiful. There must be so many others like me. Never has there been such a charming little movie. Uh, <laughs> the little oh shell. Oh my god, I Yes, this it. came out of we missed these viral videos we that did. Jenny Slate did with um her ex-husband as she does here with the film about Marcel the shell with shoes on. And uh, she's, we've said before many times in, in both supporting roles and lead roles, she's great. She she's really good. She's, you know, we are tougher on voice talent than a lot of people are. And she's ideal for voice talent. Because first of all, she has such a unique voice. And second of all, she knows how to use it appropriately when that's all she has yep, to use. Exactly right. And this is, a, she stars as the voice of Marcel. And she gets a writing credit, as does her ex-husband, Dean Fleischer Camp. Who also co-stars. Uh, yes, and he is the director. Mm -hmm. And it's just so charming and heartwarming. It really seems like something that probably could have 
or should have, well, I mean, should have, but very easily could have started as a children's book. Yeah, absolutely. Make a shell, give it shoes, and it's yeah. alive. A and little it has eyeball, a, family. a little googly yeah. eye. Um, but it, it didn't, but that's fine. I mean, it's it's so charming and touching as Marcel loses his family, except for Grandma, mm-hmm. voiced by Isabella Rossellini. So great. Perfect. Oh, she's perfect. And they both love 60 Minutes, <laughs> and they both love Leslie Stahl. And why not? And they... in get the help of 60 Minutes and Leslie Stahl and the internet uh, in trying to find Marcel's family. Yeah, the uh, the up-and-coming budding documentarian has, has moved into this Airbnb because of a recent split, and what he learns when he meets Marcel and, and his grandma is that there used to be a whole bunch more shells before the couple who owned the house moved away yeah and now they don't have any idea how to find them yeah and it comments on community and togetherness and family and and the internet and both the good and bad sides of it and internet fame and it's it's just so charming i'd I'd be hard-pressed to find someone that this movie wouldn't just just charm the socks off right It, it really is and it's great that it's getting a wide release mm-hmm. because I thought here in town I thought it might just hit the some of the art houses, but you said it's getting this wide yep. release, which yep. is fantastic yes. because this is one we've mentioned before that there's a real influx right now of feel good movies, and I totally get it. What right. we're we have lived through the last few years and are living through now, you want to feel good. This movie will make you feel good. Yes, it will. It's just a total, total charmer and more. More evidence of the real talent of Jenny Slate. Yeah, and, and it's a good one for your family. You is, can take your yeah. kids. You can yeah. take your parents. You can take your grandparents. Or yep. you can just go by yourself as an yep. adult. Yep, exactly right. So touching. And it is called Marcel the Shell with Shoes On. And it's in theaters now. Next is the directorial debut for Billy Porter. It's a delightfully modern Gen Z coming-of-age story that follows Kelsa, a confident high school girl who is trans, as she navigates through senior year. It's called Anything's Possible. Officially set the school on fire. Maybe we should go on a date. He's only dating you for the woke points. What did you call her? You are my exceptional daughter, and what is unique about you does not make you hard to love. For the first time in my life, I'm actually excited about what's to come. I truly feel anything's possible. Oh my God! No way! That is so awkward! Well, this, as you pointed out in your written review, is a coming-of-age that hits all the familiar notes, but there's a very good reason for that. Yeah, it is. It's because, you know, if if you were to just kind of go through the plot points, you would think, as you do with The Gray Man, you would think, I've seen this movie often. There are ways in which that works against the film overall, absolutely. But the, I think the the larger purpose here is that is intentional because what it does is show the universality of the story, which is important because the Molly Ringwald, so to speak, in this film is a, a beautiful girl who happens to be trans. And um, and I do think that it it earns a lot of points in doing that and just showing how typical the high, the high school experience is for everything, mm-hmm. everybody, everybody, everybody goes through the same thing. And what's interesting about Kelsa, who is played by Eva Rain, is that she wants to believe that everything is just perfectly normal. And the, the movie is sly enough 
into presenting the world as being relatively normal, that her angst and her drama is the same drama that every other teenage girl goes through. And and little by little, it becomes something that isn't because the truth is it's not entirely the same. Mm-hmm. But it's the same enough that you can see this is not a completely unique lifestyle. But but one of the things that I think is interesting about the movie is that one of the things I liked about the movie is that it doesn't wallow in the trauma and the danger um, and the outsiderness that undoubtedly this character would face. Mm-hmm. But that's not the only thing this character faces. And so this movie doesn't sort of wallow in that. Um, and and there are a couple of moments, certainly, that are profoundly unpleasant for this character. But it it, it that's not the point. That's not the focus. The point is that, you know, is, is the universality of this experience. And so, I, I really... I really applaud the film for doing that. So the director, as we said, is Billy Porter. A screenplay was written by Zamina Garcia Lacona. Hope I pronounced that right. And you know, it struck me as a as a nice bookend to the film Crush that we reviewed a few weeks ago, and that was a very familiar coming of age uh, romance through the eyes of gay characters. Now that one made a world where. Being gay was completely the most normal thing in the world. No one even commented about right. it. And that was fine for that Yeah, it was fun. Approach, it was a but, fun sort yeah. of fantasy, as most of these films really yeah. are anyway. And I can understand that approach, and it worked. I mm-hmm. enjoyed that film. And I can understand this approach, yeah. too. Both are worthwhile. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I thought that this was, you know, the the sort of predictability does work against it. After a while. Mm -hmm. But if you think about it in terms of just representation and that how wonderful must it be if you've never seen yourself or anybody anywhere like yourself as the Molly Ringwald in your own movie. Here you go. Yeah, there it is. And it's anything's possible. And it's on Prime. It's on VOD now. Let's stay with VOD and Prime and another movie that hits some familiar plot points in a different way. Albie and Walker, a couple on the verge of divorce. Albie wants out while Walker wants to make it work no matter the damage, and they're off to a weekend in the mountains to work through a book that might save their relationship through total brutal honesty. This is called The Wheel. Looking at your partner, tell them the first time you felt wounded by them. Wounded. Wow, another winner. Wounded, anyone? Walker! Walker, no! Walker, don't you dare! People hurt each other. Yeah, well, not everybody. People who love each other hurt each other. How about that? One of the things that was interesting about this movie, it was directed by Steve Pink. But then you look at his resume, and he wrote... The screenplays for both Gross Point Blank and High Fidelity. Right. So are like, okay. Yeah. He also directed both Hot Tub Time Machines. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's it's all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> but he, he, he's the director. The writer is Trent Atkinson. And this one, again, it hits some familiar beats, but the difference here is that you don't find many films that look for this type of hard-won wisdom from characters this young. Because the couple here, Albie and Walker... They met when they were 12 years old. They got married when they were 16. And now, eight years later, they're on the verge of splitting up. So most of the time, characters like that are not used as your main characters. They're they're fodder because they really haven't lived. They haven't learned. Right. What can we learn from them? And that's so that was the first bit of freshness here uh, because they have been through some stuff. And I certainly won't spoil that. But uh, they go away. 
to the mountains. And at first, when it's just a two-hander, it seems a little desperate. But then they bring in two more characters, an, an, an older couple who run the B&B, who are not yet married, but they're making plans to have a ceremony there on the property. And that's Ben and Carly. I haven't even mentioned the actors yet. Um, Albie is played by Amber Midthunder from the TV show Legion. She was one of the, we didn't watch that, but she had <laughs> one of the stars there. Uh, and Walker is played by Taylor Gray. And then the older couple, Ben is Nelson Lee and Carly is Bethany Ann Lynn. So then you've got basically the four main, main characters there. And even though the older couple, they have a, they have a rule, don't get involved with the guests, um, Carly reaches out and tries to help them. So as that push and pull goes back and forth between the two, it really helps you connect with the characters and i think one of the the best things about the movie is it never it it never loses its empathy for these characters even when they're being highly unlikable and maybe illogical you're you're still rooting for them the the film is always empathetic about them uh and that's good and as it works toward toward an ending that that feels real i mean once you find out about the trauma that the the couple went through earlier it's nothing really shocking um, it's certainly traumatic, but it's, I don't think this film is trying to break any new ground with what it's saying. It's just how it's saying it. And the performances, all four performances, are really, really good, and that helps a lot, too. It really does. You you pull for these people and, and, and these two characters who, you know, maybe be splitting up, but they eventually get to that part of, of brutal honesty that you can see coming. And if you remember back um, the, sh- the TV show, uh, not TV show, the movie, Parenthood. Well, it became a TV show, didn't it? It did. The original movie, where at the end, Grandma compares life to a roller coaster, mm-hmm. a theme park ride. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the same metaphor here, except it's a lot more subtle, and it's a lot more of an intimate focus. I mean, that's basically kind of kind of what they're saying, and they do bring in an actual Ferris wheel uh, for effect. But it's well done. It's well acted. It's sort of understated. Um, not trying to reinvent the wheel, but uh, but but has some things to say, especially in, through a new lens of these very young characters. And uh, it's worth checking out on VOD called The Wheel. Let's go to Shudder next. Uh, Beatrix lives at the edge of a peat bog in the north of the Netherlands. When she and her family are attacked by a random stranger one night, Beatrix sets out to find an explanation. The more she digs, the more she becomes convinced that she is being hunted by something ancient. Ooh, it's called Moloch. What's going on? Story to scare kids away from the bog. Do you take it seriously? No. Do you think it's still happening? Sacrificing people to this god. Well, my grandmother was murdered. They're making me do it. These things, sometimes it's best to just leave it be. I feel like a theme today is how well you can retell a familiar story. Seems that way. It does seem that way. And this is the this is the same case. This is a, it's a folklore kind of a story. It's one of those things where the characters feel like they're trapped in something and they need to sort through a lot of different, maybe online, maybe ancient sort of information until they can come up with some sort of a explanation or maybe a way out of it before it's too late. I mean, this is a, not only is that a very Scooby-Doo sort of a thing, but I mean, that's a really <laughs> common 
horror trope, certainly. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons that it works as well as it does in Moloch is that it's filmed like an indie drama. You know, the, the characters never feel cliched. They don't behave in the way you expect them to behave. There are some little bit of tangents here and there that you think are just that, just sort of the messiness of regular life. And, of course, at the end, you realize that they were giving you important information, but it never feels like you're being spoon-fed. Mm-hmm. The performances are great. All of the performances are great. The imagery is creepy um, without being over the top, without seeming false or forced. Uh, and and I think that it's a it's a great, sometimes really unnerving and unflattering story. And this is from co-writer and director Nico Vandenbrink. That sounds like the Netherlands, doesn't yes, it? Yes. Nice. It's very Dutch. Yeah. <laughs> but another good one to check out on Shudder this week, and it's called Moloch. Well, let's stay on Shudder for a documentary about the most iconic heavy metal art collective monster band in the universe, as told by the humans who have fought to keep it alive for over 30 years. This is Guar. Guar was a big, violent, sexual, theatrical rock show. It's performance art. But it's also, it's this performance art that doesn't take itself seriously. Your act has been described as obscene and disgusting. What do you say to that? Hmm, very accurate. Chaos has been what's made this band move forward. You don't do Guar because you want to get famous. You do Guar because you fucking love it. It's like the world needs a Guar. It was a joke, and we just kept going with it. It's like jokes on everyone else now, 30 years later, you know? It's a joke with no punchline. Most amazing cataclysmic rock and roll event of the century, ladies and gentlemen. This is Guar. And the tagline on the poster is, The true story of the sickest band in the world. <laughs> And if you're not familiar with Guar, well, where to start? They dress up in these latex monster costumes and they spew their audience with fluid. Yes. Uh, Fake blood and all sorts of other bodily fluids. And years ago in the early 90s, I attended bar on campus at The Ohio State University right next to a concert venue. And Guar would play there. And the kids would come out just covered in this goo. And I'm like, (laughs) what's going on in there? (laughs) And this is a backstage pass for all of that. And it, it certainly helps if you're a Guar fan. I mean, I would say if you're a big Guar fan, this is a must. Yes. This is a must. It's still interesting if you're not a fan because the band is interesting. Yes, like, they're what fascinating. What are they doing? Yeah, these people, how did this get going? And it's a, it's a fascinating story of how it got going. And then, of course, as in true behind-the-music fashion, how it all falls apart. But you get a look at the main players and then also how many people it took to pull this off. Because that's why they call it not just a band, but an art collective uh, to keep this going and this incredible show and and presentation. And so all that is very fascinating. And it has a lot of uh, first-person interviews with not not only the people involved, but with famous fans like Weird Al. He's a big fan. And some others. If you aren't a Guar fan, it does go on a little bit long. It really seems like its main purpose, and understandably so, is to... Tell the true story of the band because they're not that well known outside their, you know, their their cult, and to serve as a tribute 
that the fans would appreciate. I think on both of those counts, it does succeed. Yes. If you're just a casual fan, you'll probably think it runs a little too long and gets a little too in-depth. It's still entertaining. And if again, if you're a Guar fan, this is a must. And I imagine it's probably already on your radar. <laughs> I, in fact, this one is why I could see. If you're a Guar fan, you didn't have Shudder, I could see you getting Shudder just to see this. Yes. Because you want to see your band get its due. And it is. It's a fascinating, funny, and 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 bittersweet story about how this band came to be and still continues today. It's on Shutter called This Is Guar. And another VOD horror, a pair of happy-go-lucky siblings left alone while their parents recover from an illness play a series of pranks on each other. The game becomes nightmarish when they realize something sinister is watching them, and it wants to play too. It's called He's Watching. Hey, Lucas, why'd you record me sleeping in the middle of the night? She thinks I'm playing a prank on her, which I'm not. Mom? My sweetest Dad, what the hell is the closet creeper? that you can actually find on Shutter right now called Hellbender. And it's yeah. a family affair. It's made by the Adams family, right. just one D. <laughs> right? Uh, the patriarch, husband, father of the Adams is, he is the director. The film is co-written and stars uh, his wife and daughters. And this is not their first film. They've made a number of films. All of them are very impressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, Low-budget fairs, really well made. I highly recommend that's Hellbender, Th- that's not, Hel- not this one. No, that's Hellbender. This film, in keeping with that, it is a family affair. Jacob Estes is the director, co-writer, and his two children, Lucas and Iris, they are the co-writers and they are the stars. And and Jacob is also in it a little bit here and there. So it's it's a similar idea. This family is in, t- in its entirety. This family is working together. It is clearly a COVID production. So you've got these two kids. They're home alone now because both of their parents have been hospitalized for how long? We're not sure, although they do still have ripe strawberries at home to eat. So, mm-hmm. And the neighbors are little by little kind of disappearing as they're looking out the windows. And sometimes they go on bike rides and you can tell that this is L.A. and there's no one outside. So, you know, it's it's sly in the way it reveals the degree to which. Whatever is happening is happening in the sort of apocalyptic outdoors. And that's that's an interesting sort of setup. And then the main the majority of the film is what's happening with the kids inside the house. And it's told as sort of a found well, as a found footage film. Uh, and uh, it's a lot of what the kids are are making videos to send to their parents in the hospital. And then also some of it is uh, you're not sure where this footage is coming from. And that works its way into the storyline to a degree as well. Here's the problem. When you think of this as being something that, uh, you know, a guy and his two kids and some of their neighbors made during COVID when nobody could be in the same room, you think to yourself, good for you. That's fun. But I couldn't recommend it to anyone. The story doesn't hold together. There's no logic or plot to speak of. Uh, the performances are fine. The kids are good. But you, it really does feel profoundly self-indulgent. A little fun, a little cute, but... You know, it, you feel like you're doing your neighbors a favor by watching this film. It's not to say it's a bad movie. It's not to say it's one of those ones you're like, oh, God, I can't believe I just watched that. 
It's just that it also feels like a complete waste of your time. And that is called He's Watching. It's on VOD now. All right, we're going to talk about Nope a little more in depth with some spoilers in a few. But right now, let's go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Back in the lobby with Daniel Baldwin, a.k.a. the Schlocketeer, to hip us to what's new this week, Studio News. What's going on? Well, Lightyear will be available to stream on Disney Plus on August 3rd. And Amazon has been restructuring the MGM release slate in the wake of the merger. So Ron Howard's disaster drama, 13 Lives, will see limited theatrical release on July 29th and then be streaming on Prime a week later on August 5th. And um, that's the one that it's the narrative version of the documentary they had a few years ago. Right. Which was great. Yes. And the latest action film from the director of The Villainous is called Carter, and that's hitting Netflix on August 5th. Then on August 16th, keeping in the action realm, Sony is putting out the ninth film in the Sniper franchise called Sniper Rogue Mission. So if you've been keeping up with that one, you got a new one on the way. <laughs> Nine. I still can't believe that. <laughs> I can't either. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's nuts. <laughs> uh, Paramount's releasing their horror film prequel, Orphan First Kill, Day and Date, on August 19th, uh, where it'll hit Paramount Plus, VOD, and Limited Theatrical all on the same day. So kind of shotgunning that one out. Mm. And Overlord director Julius Avery's new original superhero film, Samaritan, will be skipping theaters and instead hitting Amazon Prime directly on August 26th. And that stars Sylvester Stallone, Javon Walton, and Pilu Azbek. I love oh, Pilu Azbek. I love yes, him. he's always good. <laughs> I'm guessing he's the villain because, you know, he, he kind of excels at that. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he so. certainly was the villain in Overlord. <laughs> oh, Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Disney has pushed back the release of its Bill Skarsgård horror thriller, Barbarian. It was going to come out in August. Now it's hitting theaters on September 9th instead. And then, not to be um, outdone with their Orphan First Kill release late, uh, Paramount's also got an interesting uh, distribution route for Confess Fletch, the new Fletch movie with John Hamm. Um, it's arriving first on September 16th, day and date on VOD and in select theaters, and then it'll premiere on Showtime on October 28th. So kind of feels like studios continuing to fill out the marketplace post-COVID. Right. We're getting a David Bowie documentary called Moonage Daydream yeah. from Universal. Yeah, looking forward to that. Uh, in theaters on September 16th. And then Screen Media's Jeepers Creepers reboot Jeepers Creepers Reborn gets a limited theatrical run through Phasm Events this fall on September 19th, 20th, and 21st. Uh, Lionsgate's just out of title change for Last Exorcism director Daniel Stam's latest film. It was called The Devil's Light, and now it's Pray for the Devil, and that's P-R-E-Y. Uh, uh, and uh, that's still set for an October 28th theatrical release. Uh, it is going wide, and it stars Jacqueline Byers, Virginia Madsen, Colin Salmon, and Ben Cross. Interesting lineup there. Mm -hmm. And, of course, recently I uh, whined about the fact that uh, Last Voyage of the Demeter was uprooted from its January 27th release, no longer gifting me a vampire movie for my birthday. Well, now instead I get a Gerard Butler action movie <laughs> called The Plane. Boom! <laughs> <laughs> Happy day! Happy day! Not, not the fairest of trades, but I'll take it. <laughs> and Warner Brothers' new adaptation of Stephen King's Salem's Lot has moved from September 9th to April 21st. So it's kind of a vote of confidence, although I imagine it's also partially because they probably aren't done with it yet. 
And then they had set uh, last train to New York, which is the train to Bassan remake for April 21st next year. Now it'll be coming out later that year. And that's from uh, Night Comes for Us director Timo Tejanto. Normally I wouldn't be all that excited for an English language remake of a film that good, but when you get someone that's equally crazy behind the director's chair, that kind of uh, entices me a bit more. Mm -hmm. And the only other news I have for you is that the Quiet Place prequel, Quiet Place Day One, has moved from a fall 2023 date to a spring 2024 date. And this is not Jeff Nichols anymore directing, right? No, but they it's uh, Michael Sarnofsky, the guy who did Pig. Oh, oh yeah. so, interesting. You know, kind of a lateral move. A wow. n- really nice lateral move wow, there. Wow, <laughs> that's interesting. All right. Well, you can always catch up with the latest news from Daniel. You can follow him at The Schlocketeer. Thanks again. Hey, thanks for having me. All right, so now we're going to circle back to Nope and talk a little bit more about it with some spoilers before we talk about what's ahead next week. But we talked about that Bible passage. It's Nahum 3.6. It says, I will cast abominable filth upon thee, make thee vile, uh, make you a spectacle, set thee as a gazing stock. And, boy, they come back to spectacle a lot. Yeah, and they do. Cast filth upon thee. They act, Well, once you get the alien monster is actually doing that, raining down its excrement, its filth upon these people. And so that's very literal with what this monster is doing. But I think that's why it got me thinking about the many times they mention the word spectacle and how how it can be interpreted in this movie. It certainly could be interpreted in just a the setting of filmmaking and Hollywood and and maybe chewing you up and spitting you out for a better you know, for lack of a better term. But then when it brings in Steven Yoon's character and his experience with that monkey mm-hmm. when he was in a sitcom back as a kid and what that monkey does and goes on a rampage and talks about trying to tame things you can't tame boy that got me thinking much a much more wider scope mm-hmm. maybe wrong that's just where my my mind went and again i think it's a film that you can interpret in different ways yeah not necessarily wrong whatever how it hits you but it really got me thinking about that spectacle and how people in general can be so arrogant to think they're in charge of their surroundings in charge of their environment and be careful because it can come back and bite you or i think also that filmmakers they manipulate what they see. Mm-hmm. They feel like they own it, and uh, and then they present it back to other people for entertainment. And then you think about, well, what about what's happening? Like, what it, that you are does what you've captured have any say in it? Is there any respect or integrity sure. to yeah. to that? Especially mm-hmm. if what you are capturing and feeding back to people as entertainment is uh, is alive and not really volunteering for this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, all that is very worthwhile. But it, and there's any time a a filmmaker returns to a word or a theme so often, especially when you you open it up with this mm-hmm. with this quote that I was not familiar with. No, uh, I had to look it up. But um, you return to it and use the word spectacle and talk about taming. There's it's obviously something that he wants to get through to you, and then leave it to up to your interpretation, which I think is really the way to do it. But uh, I found that as you call it, the B story of Stephen Yoon's mm-hmm. character and his experience with this monkey. Mm-hmm. That's some of the most frightening footage when that monkey no goes nuts. Yeah, no question. You're like, damn. Yeah. That that's that's so scary. But again, it's it's you know, it's a birthday party, yeah. it's a kids TV show, and it's so in keeping with the way which I, I think this idea of spectacle uh, and, and making a spectacle horrific. Yes. It is so in keeping with this this theme of like perverting 
imagery that is often associated with like fun childhood stuff. And the fact that they were making that TV sitcom was making a spec. The whole sitcom was built on making a spectacle of that monkey. Oh, absolutely. And trying to tame it. Mm-hmm. And then it made a spectacle, a bloody spectacle of them. Mm-hmm. And they could not tame it. So, yeah. And then Steven Yeun's character continues to try to make a spectacle of the spectacle. Yes, and then gets a comeuppance. So, yeah, I think that is is a very solid thread that runs all the way through it. And I have to say, I loved the fake-out that he gives you early on with those little kids dressed as aliens. Oh, yeah, Because for a minute you thought, holy crap, is that what we're doing here? And then it was a big fail, like, nice. You know, yeah, so it's it's really well done. And uh, really be interested to hear... Other interpretations, yeah, you know what you what you took from it, because uh, I think it's all most of the time it's it's all worthy, and the best filmmakers leave it leave parts of it yeah. lead you down a certain way, mm-hmm. and then kind of say, okay, step back and yeah. say, what what does that say to you? Agreed. Continue to have a lot of respect for what Jordan Peele is doing. So, and yeah. again, though, I, one of the things that that we left the film happy about is how in the last two years, I think the idea that really. The majority of our our first cowboys in the United States were were people of color, mm-hmm. black cowboys in particular, but people of color. Yep. They weren't white, and that of course, in the entire hundred plus years of cinema, they they've all been white for mm-hmm. no good reason. Right. And I love that starting with uh, right, a couple of Idris Elba movies, and then now <laughs> this reclaiming that yeah, history. Exactly right, especially when one of the posters, movie posters in the background, is for 1972's. Buck and the Preacher, and that was Sidney Poitier and Harry Belafonte, and I believe the first black cowboy movie. Nice. So all those things are placed, you know, with good reason. Of course. And just in case, if you've seen it, and hopefully if you're listening to this, you have seen it. Right, right. Um, and you didn't sit through to the very end. There is a little gag at the very end, yeah. just one still picture, uh, but it's nothing you beat yourself up over. If you haven't seen it, but it's basically a an invitation to a theme park ride at what what Universal <laughs> Studios mm-hmm. uh, that may be coming. Yeah. All right. So we'd love to keep talking about this. If you would like to, always get the feedback going. You can find us easily on Twitter. That's at Mad Wolf M A D D W O L F. Also Mad Wolf Columbus on Facebook and Instagram, and the main website where you can find all of our written reviews and our other horror movie only podcast called Fright Club. New episode about to drop, by the way. That's all at madwolf.com. And we forgot to talk about what's coming next, didn't we? We did. You were pointing at a paper. I'm going, what did I not do? Oh, okay. What's coming next? DC League of Super Pets. Oh, the Super Pets. Yeah. Also, Vengeance is next week. Resurrection, which I'm looking forward to. Endangers. My old school. Yeah, we. J- I just saw the trailer for that. I did not know anything about it, and now I cannot wait to see it. <laughs> my donkey, my lover. Hmm. <laughs> All right. (laughs) Neptune Frost. American Carnage. And Not Okay. Yep. So we'll see if those are okay or even better. That's all next week. But this week, a lot to talk about. Love to hear what you thought of Nope. Get in touch if you can. Keep watching those movies. And uh, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next week. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but... I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. <laughs>